Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. The call to servanthood, following Jesus' example, what would Jesus do? Four application points I want to give you this morning before we get into the message, because I really want you to understand the context of where we're at in scriptures, right? And I think he has them up there. I don't know for sure, but I'm going to give it to you. Point number one of our application points is as we go through the scriptures, we're going to see this and we're going to answer all these points at the end of the message. Okay. The first point is to reevaluate your concept of greatness, right? We all have a definition of greatness is. You in your life, me in my life, like I wanted, when I was in sales, I want to be the greatest salesperson. To close every deal I, want, I needed to close. Or your parents want you to be the greatest kid that you can be because, so they can show you off. <laughs> or be proud of you. That's what I got from my relationship with my parents. But I love them to death. Reevaluate your concept of greatness. Take a moment with me to reflect on your aspirations, your ambitions, your goals. What are you chasing, right? You're chasing that. And that's your greatness. Point number two, embrace servanthood. Embrace servanthood. Jesus calls us to follow his example of servanthood. We are going to look at how Jesus is going to call us and how he leads. Embrace servanthood. If you are saved, you're not just saved to sit on a bench. You're saved to serve. You're saved to serve. And I'm not calling you need to serve at church or you need to be involved in ministry. That's good and well. But you are saved to serve wherever you're at. University students, you're saved to serve there. There's people in your influence that you could influence. You're saved to serve because you're representing God. We all are. You're saved to serve at your work. You're saved to serve as a husband, as a wife. We are all saved to be served. Point number three, consider the cost. Consider the cost of following Jesus. Jesus tells us there's a cost of following him. You know, there's a, um, teachings that has been going around for a very, very long time. Is if you come to God, he's going to give you everything that you desire you're going to have, you're going to be the most successful person. You're going to not have to go through any trials. You may have riches. You may have this. You may have that. Those are all temporary things. There is a cost to following Christ. And sometimes we forget that when we go through a little hiccup in our lives, right? It can throw us off. It's like, and Jesus is going to tell us there's a cost to following him. The fourth and lastly point I want to consider is leadership through humility. Jesus is going to show us how to lead. Jesus is going to show us how to lead. There's many different styles of leadership. When I was working uh, in the sales background, there's like, you know, the go, 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 take no for answers, or the very motivated or whatever it is. There's many different styles of leadership. But Jesus is going to tell us as believers how we should lead our lives. Right? I mean, there's guys out there who are, have platforms and they have millions of followers. And look at the style of leadership they lead with. Jesus is going to tell us, don't be chasing that false leadership. Don't be chasing those types of leadership. Because all, all that type of leadership, all that stuff leads to death and damnation. He's going to tell us and he's going to teach us of how to lead. At the end of the teaching in Mark 10, 35, 45, Jesus is going to redefine what greatness as servanthood means, right? He's going to redefine our definition of what greatness is. He invites us, Jesus invites us to follow his example by embracing humility, self-sacrifice, and willingness to serve others. You see, church, as we do, as we do that today, we not only honor his teachings, but also become vessels of his love and grace in this world. 
True greatness in God's kingdom is found in the footsteps of our servant king, our Lord, your Lord, our Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. And before we do that, I want to put us in the context, in the take us back in the book of Mark and walk us through until we get to chapter 10. I know you're saying, man, chapter 10, you're going to walk us through? Yes, I will. It's going to go by quick. So to give us a context, to place us in the place of history where this is happening. You see, in Mark chapter 1, in the opening chapter of Mark's gospel, we are introduced to John the Baptist who prepares the way for the coming king, King Jesus. You see, Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him, and Jesus begins his ministry calling his first disciples performing miracles and preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. His fame spreads rapidly as he heals the sick and casts out demons. This is Mark chapter 1. In chapter 2, Jesus continues his ministry. He's demonstrating his authority to forgive sins, and he heals the paralyzed. He calls Levi, which is Matthew, also known Matthew, to follow him. Matthew is a sinner. He's a tax collector, and he's like the worst of the sinners at this time. And Jesus is calling him, hey, Matthew, hey, Levi, come and follow after me. Jesus faces opposition from religious leaders who questions his actions and teachings. He explains that he has come to call sinners to repentance and not the righteous. Ain't that true for today, right? People think they're all right. People think that they are righteous. In their own eyes, they are. In God's eyes, they are not if you don't have Jesus with you. Jesus performs more healings and appoints his 12 disciples in chapter 3, giving them authority to preach and to cast out demons. However, opposition from the religious authorities intensifies as they accuse Jesus of being possessed by demons. And Jesus tells them, hey, you're getting close to the place where you're going to commit the unforgivable sin. And that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. This is Mark chapter 3. Then Jesus teaches in parables. Who loves the parables? I love the stories that Jesus teaches. Man, those are like, you read it and they're very short, but they have golds of nuggets we can get a hold of and apply it to our lives. So Jesus teaches in parables, including the parable of the sower and the parable of the mustard seed. He calms a storm, demonstrating his power over nature. Jesus continues to perform miracles and healings, including raising a young girl from the dead. This is Mark chapter 4. And then Jesus encounters a demon-possessed man in the region of Gerasenes and casts out the demons into a herd of pigs. You probably heard this while in Sunday school. It's a very popular story. Then the people are amazed but ask Jesus to leave. Because why? It's, in, it's affecting their economy of how they make money. Then Jesus returns to his hometown of Nazareth, but faces rejection by the people there. Jesus sends out his disciples to continue his ministry. You see, he went back home to try to minister to the place of his birth to his people, but they chased him out because of why. They didn't, Jesus couldn't perform many miracles there because of their unbelief. Mark chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes, illustrating his power to provide abundantly more beyond than we could ever imagine. He walks on water, heals many as crowds seek him. His popularity is just blowing off the roof. John the Baptist is beheaded by Herod. The chapter highlights the importance of faith and the rejection of Jesus in Nazareth. In Mark chapter 7, the Pharisees and scribes, they question, these are the religious leaders, they come and question Jesus about what he's doing, his, about ritual purity and the traditions. These guys want to bank their whole salvation on their traditions, on their rituals. They don't understand that all the Old Testament was about Jesus, and he's here. That's why he told them, the kingdom of God is before you. It is right here, right now, but they missed it. Jesus heals a Syrophoenician woman's daughter and a deaf and a mute man in chapter 7. Miracle continues to reveal Jesus' divine authority. He's getting more popular. In today's terms, he may have 20 million Facebook followers. Or YouTube, he's over the 100 million YouTube. He's the greatest YouTuber ever. 
His fame is spreading throughout this region because of all the miracles, the healings, everything he's doing. Jesus feeds 4,000 with seven loaves and a few fish in chapter 8. He warns his disciples of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod, symbolizing hypocrisy and worldly influence. Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ, right? And then he tells Jesus, after he says that, he tells Jesus, you're not going to go there to die. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. What are you doing? I'm on a mission, and you don't understand what you're telling me to do. But Jesus predicts his suffering and death and resurrection. He calls for self-denial, taking up one's cross, and following him. This is chapter 8. Then Jesus is transfigured before Peter, James, and John on a mountain, revealing his divine glory. He casts out a demon from a boy, emphasizing the power of faith. Jesus teaches about humility and warns against causing others to stumble. He emphasizes the seriousness of sin. He doesn't sugarcoat what sin is. That's what I love about the Word of God. If you want to know what sin is, what to do, what not to do, look into the Word of God. Because he clearly tells us what to do and what not to do. And sometimes we just walk those lines, don't we? Then we come to Mark chapter 10. Jesus addresses divorce and welcomes children, highlighting the value of marriage and a childlike faith to come to enter the kingdom of heaven. Then there's the story of the rich young ruler who seeks eternal life but struggles to let go of his possessions. That was his God. How many of us have idols in our lives that we struggle to give Jesus? The rich young ruler seeks eternal life but struggles to let go of his possessions, his God. Jesus teaches about the difficulty of the rich entering into the kingdom. This is chapter 10. He predicts his own death and emphasizes servanthood as the path to greatness. And now we come to our scripture, chapter 10. You see, these chapters in the Gospel of Mark describe Jesus' ministry, his teachings, his interactions with various individuals and groups. Showcasing his authority, his compassion, and mission to bring salvation to all. That's why he's here, to bring salvation to all. Before we look into Mark 10, 35 35 to 45, and the great teachings that Jesus has on servanthood and humility, it's important for us, church, to set the stage by understanding the context and the journey that has led us to this point in the Gospel of Mark. Are you getting it this morning? We walked through Mark, and now we're coming to our passage here. You see, the verses preceding our text reveal a pattern in the disciples' behavior and also it could be our behavior. And Jesus' response to that gives us valuable insights of what he wants us to learn this morning. In Mark chapter 10, verse 32 and 34, if you look at it at your Bible, Jesus had just foretold his impending suffering, crucifixion, and resurrection. Remember, he's telling, this is the third time Jesus is telling his guys, his disciples, Guys, I am here and I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to be crucified and then I will be raised again. He's told them, he's told these guys three times. Keep that in context because it's very important for us to understand. You know, this announcement had left the disciples confused and fearful. Yet, it was in this time of unknown and apprehension that James and John approached Jesus with their bold and selfish request, right? For positions. What did they approach Jesus for? For positions of power and honor. Not knowing that his key, Jesus' kingdom is far greater than any kingdom here on earth. Jesus is talking about a greater kingdom than any kingdom here on earth. And keep in point, a few weeks from, a few weeks from what's happening right now, Jesus is going to go to his death. Three times Jesus tells his disciples... Guys, you're not listening to me. I'm here and I'm going to die. But they're not getting it. It's important to note for us that the disciples have been walking closely with Jesus. These are his close friends. Jesus has walked with them three plus years. And he's at the end of his life. Jesus knows it, but the guys are like looking for material things. They're looking for the kingdom that they could come in and be powerful in, right?
Their understanding of Jesus' mission was clouded by earthly expectations and a triumphant worldly kingdom. You see, they were still struggling to get a hold of what the true essence of Jesus' message is. And sometimes we as a church, we forget that. You see, his call to self-sacrifice, service, and a radical redefinition of what greatness means is what he wants his disciples to really understand. With this background in mind, now do you have the background? Do we have the background? Yes? Do we understand? We're in the scene. We're in the times. And now we're coming to our scripture. Mark 10, 35. So with this background in mind, let's explore Mark 10, 35, 45, and see how Jesus used this moment to show us the path to greatness in his kingdom, challenging the disciples' misconceptions and teaching us valuable lessons we can apply to our lives as believers today. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Are you with me? Did I lose you? Are you with me? Say amen. Amen. Okay. Let's look at it. Mark 10, 35. It says this. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. You see, in Mark chapter 119, Jesus beginning his ministry, and it says, And going a little farther, Jesus, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately Jesus called James and John, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. You see, James and John are brothers, and they're also called the sons of thunder. They were fishermen. They were probably well off because they had a boat and they had hired servants. Jesus calls them, and they immediately left. And I was, I was looking at those like, why did they just leave? They must have known about Jesus, you know, with the time they were growing up. In, Mark, in Matthew chapter 20, let me read this to you. This is uh, Matthew's account of what's going on here. And if you notice, it says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before Jesus, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want me to do? She said to him, Lord, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand, the other on your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered. So Matthew's giving us an account. James and John's mother got involved in this. And the mother wanted James and John, the sons, to have honor positions in, in Jesus' kingdom. Right? And then after that, James and John comes alongside. Hey, uh, Jesus, I know my mom spoke to you. And, uh, you know, she has done a lot for us. You know, probably was cooking for us and, you know, taking care of us. Hey, uh, remember she, she asked you a favor? You know, uh, James on your right, John on your left. Can you uh, put us there? <laughs> Can you imagine this conversation? The mob came to Jesus and asked, and then the boys are coming to ask. That is crazy. That's crazy to me. So James and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples, these guys were his inner court circle, the closest of the disciples. James and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples, approached Jesus with a request. And their initial words to Jesus was, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Can you imagine that? You know, for us as parents, for those of you who are parents, growing up, my daughter used to, uh, when she was young, probably three, two to five or something, and uh, she would ask, Dad, you promise? Will you do it? You promise, Dad? Say yes, Dad. Say yes, Dad. And I'm like, what am I saying yes to? You know, you could ask me, Dad, you said yes, I can have a car. No, I didn't. You said yes, I could have this uh, candy. No, I didn't. And this is the same thing these guys are doing. Jesus, say yes. Say yes. Give me the yes answer. And then we're going to tell you, hey, we want positions of honor.
This shows us the desires in the heart of James and John. Personal gain and influence. You know, we as believers today may also be tempted by self-centered prayers, right? Or requests. It's important to approach God with humility. Right? It's important to approach him with humility. And align our desires with his will. Seeking his guidance in our prayers rather than treating him as a means to achieve personal ambition. Ain't that the truth? You never, we never go to God for anything until, you know, your walk is fine, everything is fine, getting good grades, work is fine, everything's going well. Then all of a sudden, something happens in your life that brings calamity. And now we seek God because he, we want him to solve what's going on in our lives. When all that time we were walking with God, he's wanting intimacy with you and I. And we've gotten comfortable in our walks with him. We have to be careful not to end up like that. Mark chapter 10, verse 36. And Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Have you ever been in a place in your, in your walk with God where you clearly hear God's voice say to you, what do you want me to do for you? Right? The voice of God, what do you want me to do for you? You see, Jesus responds by asking them to clarify their request. What do you want me to do for you? You're asking me a vague question. I, I, you know, Jesus responds by asking them to clarify their requests, inviting them to express their deepest open desires to God. God is always speaking. We have to take the time to listen, right? God is always speaking to us. We have to take the time to listen. You see, just as Jesus invites James and John to express their requests, honestly, we as believers today can approach God with our needs and desires. Right? We can do that. However, we should do so with being honest with God. Sincerity. Trusting that God knows what's best for us and seeking his wisdom in our petition. You know, when life hits you hard and you don't understand what, what's going on and why this is happening to you, we have to, we as believers has to, have to trust God that he knows what's best for us. We may not see everything going on in our lives now, and I could just speak from experience upon experience. You have your experience going through something difficult that you don't have the answer to right away, but then later on God answers your prayer or doesn't answer your prayer. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? You see, just as Jesus invites James and John to express their requests honestly, we today can approach God with our needs and desires. In Mark chapter 10, verse 37 says, And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in, one on your left in your glory. You see, James and John revealed their misunderstanding of Jesus' kingdom. They totally missed it. By seeking positions of power and glory and honor. And Jesus never once told them that his kingdom was going to be complete here on earth. He's never told them that. He's never told them that I'm going to go to Jerusalem and overthrow the Roman government and set up my kingdom here on earth. He's never told them that. But yet, that is what they're looking at. Because that's what the Old Testament Jews were looking forward to. The Messiah. Even Israel today are still looking for the Messiah. Mark chapter 10, verse 37. And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. You see, James and John revealed their misunderstanding of Jesus' kingdom by seeking positions of power and prominence. You and I, believer, may also struggle with a desire of recognition and status. 
both within the church and in the world. It's important for us to align our ambitions with Jesus, with his teaching, seeking to serve rather than seeking positions of honor. Doesn't that happen in your life? It happens in mine, not knowing that I'm doing it, right? In Mark chapter 10, verse 38, it says, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized with? We have to very, we have to be careful what we ask for. And sometimes we do that as believers. When you're going through a struggle or trial or temptation, we just go right away and we want God to answer it like instantly. Be careful what we ask for. Think before we ask. You know, that's what I used to tell my kid. And I do the same thing with, with my relationship with God. You know, I don't think. I just, God, God, this is happening, this is happening, that person, that person, this situation. And God say, I'm here. I know. Come on. Walk with me. I'm going to give you patience for that. I'm going to gift you with the Holy Spirit to allow you to overcome anything that you're going through. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus challenges James and John by asking if they are willing to share in his suffering and his sacrifice. You see, Jesus has a cup and a baptism that only he can fulfill. Nobody else. We all have our own cup and our own baptism in our lives that we have to experience. Nobody else. There's things that you go through that I go through that nobody else goes through. It is for us to take. It is for us to be immersed in. Just like Jesus has to be immersed in the cup and the baptism with which he has to go through. You see, church, you and I today, we should recognize that following Jesus often involves challenges, including personal sacrifice and trials. It's important for us to really understand the count, to count the cost of discipleship and be willing to endure the hardships for the sake of our faith and the service to others. Right? Life is not going to be easy all the way through. It's not. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be tough. There's going to th- be things happen in your life that you don't understand. Why I'm following God. I'm trying to leave, lead a, a good life for God, but this keeps happening with me. Be steadfast in your walk. Immovable in Jesus. Mark 10, 39 says, And they said to him, We are able James and John says to Jesus, we're able to take this. We're able to come alongside you. We want to be on your right. We want to be on your left. Whatever you have for us, we'll take it. You see, James and John respond confidently, right? They're confidently in their, their, their confidence is in, in what's happening right now, showing their commitment to following Jesus, even in the face of difficulties. But can I say, this is false confidence. Why? Because in a few weeks, they're all going to leave Jesus in a few weeks, when Jesus goes to the cross, they're all going to leave him. No one's going to be there, not including these two. You see, James and John responded confidently because their eyes, their heart was fixed on things of the earth. You and I as believers may also express our dedication to following Christ. But it's important, Christian... It's important to maintain a firm commitment to him, right? It's important for us to maintain our firm commitment to him, even when challenges arise in our faith journey. Because when it comes down to it, you and I, we too may leave Jesus if we're not careful in our lives. How many, and I've seen this in my own life, you know, some of my family members, some people that, we got saved with. Some of them have walked away. They left. They heard the good news. They tasted. But still, life came and they left. 
May that not be about us. The end of 1039 says, And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized with, you will be baptized. You see, Jesus acknowledges that James and John will indeed share in his suffering and his sacrifice. The cup and the baptism that Jesus is going to go through in a few weeks from this, James and John will go through it as well. You see, when it says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? As it would turn out, both James and John took the cup and were baptized in suffering. But they each experienced the suffering in different ways. Check this out. This is James and John coming to Jesus. I, we want power of authority. We want to rule the kingdom with you. You know, James, you take that side of the earth. John, you take that side of the earth. Jesus, you stay here in Jerusalem and rule it all. Don't worry, I got this side, you got that side. You see, James was the first apostle to be martyred. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. James wanted the honored position, the prominence. He wanted the glory. And this is what happened to James. He tasted what Jesus tasted. He was the first martyr of the church, of the disciples, not the church. And according to tradition, John was never martyred, though he survived an attempted murder by immersion in uh, boiling oil, tradition tells us. So they tried to kill John, but Jesus was not done with John. You see, these guys, James and John, one got killed first, the other got killed at the end when the disciples were being killed, martyred. They didn't know they were going to go through exactly the same thing Jesus was going to go through. They had their cup. They had their baptism that they had to perform. They had to go through. You see, in popular Greek usage, the vocabulary of baptism was used to speak of being overwhelmed by a disaster or danger. And a similar metaphorical use of submersion is present in Scripture. See, Jesus had to be submersed, immersed, baptized into the suffering and going to the cross for you and I, for his disciples. As believers today, we can find comfort in knowing that, you know, we too will face challenges in our faith journey. These difficulties, the trials, the tribulation, the lot, when life happens, can draw us closer to Jesus and deepen our understanding of his love and grace. Does that happen to you when you go through a life trial? Does it draw you closer to Jesus or you just walk away from Jesus? It should draw us completely over to Jesus. Jesus, I don't know why this is, I'm going through this. Please help me. Help me get through this. And guess what? He is always there. God the Father is always there. When you're saved, you are forgiven of all sin. Now, there are sins we will commit because we're still in these fleshly, sinful bodies. You know, God, when we, when we mess up, God is more willing to forgive us than we are willing to run to him for forgiveness, for cleansing, right? I... Is it? I know it happens to me. I'm like, ah, oh, I messed up. I feel ashamed. I feel embarrassed. I feel lost. I know God's grace is there. I just don't want to run to it because now the devil, the enemy can use that to just put you on your pity party. And always oh, me, I don't want to do anything, you know, because you know what the, the thing is? Because we want to do it. We want, we enjoy that sin, don't we? Whatever sin that's a, that's a, that trips you up, I know there's sins in my life that trip me up over and over and over and over again that God has healed me from. And I know there's sins in your life that, you, that the devil, the enemy could trip you up with. And if we're not 
careful to run to God immediately, we can move this way and be further from the Lord, like within a week, in a month, in a year. Now you're just nowhere near God's people because you don't want to deal with it, but yet the Father's love, His grace is there, always pursuing you, coming after you. You can't run from it. And then when we repent, when we turn around and say, God, please cleanse me. Then you, he, he puts a blanket over you, a blanket of love and grace. You feel his blanket of mercy. If, if you ever go outside and it's really cold, and then you come inside and you just want to feel something warm, that's what God the Father is. It's a blanket of love over the difficulties, over the trials, over whatever you go through. It's always available. You just have to pick it up and put it over you. You see, James and John experienced what Jesus had to go through. They had a taste of it. They wanted to be in place of honor. There's your place of honor. And it is an honor to suffer for Christ. It is an honor when people think you're crazy and they say you're a fanatic because you follow Jesus. You don't go on and do the things that the world sees it's right. It is an honor to follow Jesus. Regardless of, of what the world is doing, regardless of what they tell us what to do, we always strive to follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verse 40, it says, but to, Jesus said, but to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. You see, Jesus said, it's to, the place of honor is not mine to grant you. Honors in the kingdom are bestowed not on the basis of selfish ambition like these guys were chasing, but of divine sovereign will of God the Father. These guys were seeking after the flesh when they approached Jesus because they want positions of honor. We are to be led by the Holy Spirit. Mark 10, 41 says, and when, they, and when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant. They were angry at James and John. You see, the other disciples were upset by James and John's request, likely because they were all struggling with Similar worldly desires for greatness. Remember, in the past, they would all gather together when Jesus was out praying or Jesus uh, was not with them. They would all get, gather together. Guys, we know there's a kingdom coming. Um, you, who, who do you think is going to be the greatest? John, are you going to sit next to Jesus? Or uh, Peter, are you? They were vying for position in this kingdom. And they were arguing amongst each other. No, I think I'm going to get it because I'm more spiritual than you. I've, when Jesus said go heal, I, I perform the most healings. Or when Jesus was praying and all you guys were sleeping, I was alongside him. Can you imagine what we, what we bring to the table trying to please God? You see, the other disciples, they resented James and John for their attempt to gain an advantage over the others in pursuing the honor they all wanted. They all wanted the same thing. James and John just got to them first. You and I today may also struggle with jealousy, right? We can struggle with jealousy, competition, or the desire for recognition within our own church our own faith community. It's important to address these feelings with humility, unity, recognizing that we are called to serve. Mark 10, 42, it says, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. You see, Jesus is now going to compare what it means to rule in the world and what it means to rule in his, in his kingdom. Jesus contrasts Worldly leadership, which often involves wielding of power and authority with his kingdom's principle of servanthood. And the question is, what is your experience of sitting under leadership? 
right? We look at the world today, we look at our, even our own government. You know, some of our politicians, we vote them in the office and they stay there and that's all they're worried about is to keep their office place. Because why? Power, being recognized. They forget why they were voted there for. They forget about the people. Now they're after themselves. And we see that in the kingdoms of this world. When it gets down to it, people are selfish. We want best what's best for us. But God is telling us, Jesus is telling them, you know, that's not the way to be in my kingdom. You and I today, believer, we should reflect on our leadership roles, whether it's in the church, right, at work or in our families, at Texas Tech. You see, true leadership in God's kingdom is characterized by service, by what? Humility and a willingness to put others' needs first. That's very hard to do. That is very hard to do because, you know, I want to be first when it comes to something good. Like, I want to look after myself, then look after the people I love, and then everybody else can come second or third or last. But Jesus tells us, and he's telling these guys, service, humility, and willingness to put others' needs first. Mark ten forty three says, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. You see, Jesus emphasizes that greatness in his kingdom is achieved through serving others. Greatness is achieved through serving others. You see, the disciples were arguing about being great. The world's definition of great is opposite of God's. Jesus says, whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. You see, in the kingdom of God... Status, money, popularity are not the qualification for leadership. Heck, they're not even qualification to serve in the church. And sometimes the church has this all messed up, especially, you know, if you're in a big church and you're a big donor and you could do a lot for the church. That's where we get messed up. Status, money, popularity, right? Humble service is the greatest and only requirement for you and I to serve the kingdom. You see, you and I, church, today we should aspire to serve others selflessly. Whether it's within the church, the community, or in everyday interactions, we should seek opportunities to meet the needs of others and demonstrate Christ-like humility. There's no place in the church for domineering leaders. There's no place. There's no place in the church for domineering leaders, no matter what you lead. If you have an attitude in ministry that this ministry is mine and everything that goes on here is mine, I want it the way I do it, you're a domineering leader. And God will take you off of that pedestal. If you don't do it yourself, he will take you out. He's not wanting leaders like that for the church. That puts in perspective we as leaders in the church. It's not a title. It's an attitude that we need to serve with. You're a leader? Oh, yeah, you're the greatest servant. Now serve me. Instead of, I'm the leader and I want all of you guys to do what I don't want to do. The church has an attitude of that. And God is telling, Jesus is telling them, May that not be of us. Mark 10, 44, I'm coming to a close. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. You see, Jesus takes the concept of servanthood to an even deeper level than what the disciples already are, are hearing. He's equating, it, he's, uh, equating it to being a slave of all. Slave in the Greek is doulos, doulos. A slave, bondman, a man of servile condition, a slave. The metaphor is one who gives himself up to another's will. Those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men. 
devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. A servant, attendant. You see, you and I today, believer, we should strive for the highest form of humility and service, recognizing that being a slave of all means placing others' needs and well-being above our own desires and ambitions. I don't want to be inconvenient in my walk with God. And that's a bad attitude to have. When there's a brother in the church, his car breaks down, and he calls me at 9 at nine when I fix and go to sleep, and he needs help. I'm like, uh, how can I get out of this? Mm. Or you know a family that's in church who's struggling financially to feed themselves. You know it. And God, the Holy Spirit, has spoken to you directly. How many times has God, the Holy Spirit, spoken to you directly about something and we disobey him? Right? Listen, we are equipped with the Holy Spirit to accomplish this. We need God's divine power to live this out. We need it because in it and of it yourself, you cannot live like this. You can't. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. For me. Y'all should take your highlighter or your pen out and underline that word ransom. And then put next to it for me. It, be, it makes it personal for you and I. It's easy for us to read as a ransom for many. Right next to it you should put for me because that's what Jesus done for you personally. You see, Jesus is going to conclude by pointing to his own example. He came not to be served, but to serve even to the point of giving his life as a ransom for many, right? Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. You see, real ministry in the church, in our lives, is done for the benefit of those ministered to. It's not done for you. If you call yourself a minister, you're a servant of God. Real ministry is done for the benefit of those ministered to, not for the benefit of the minister. You see, many people in the church, in ministry, are in the ministry for what they can receive, either materially or emotionally, from their people instead of for what they can give. Boy, that really hits home. You see that word ransom in the Greek is lutron. The price, of, the price for redeeming a ransom paid for slaves, captives, for the ransom of life to liberate many from misery and the penalty of their sins. And Jesus says, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is one of the great claims of Jesus made about himself and his ministry. Listen to this. He is the one, Jesus, who stands in the place of guilty sinners. He is the only ransom that God the Father will accept for your sin. There's no other ransom. There's no other ransom who stands in the place of guilty sinners, you and I, and offers himself a substitute for them. You see, Jesus is the only ransom the Father will accept. He is the sinless one. There's no other ransom that the Father, there's no other way you can get to the Father. Jesus says there's no other way. His cup and baptism was his alone. This is the ransom that only God the Father will accept for the wrath that he's going to judge sin with. There is no other ransom. You see, the ransom metaphor sums up the purpose for which Jesus gave his life and defines the complete expression of his service. The prevailing notion behind the metaphor is that of deliverance by purchase. Whether a prisoner of war, a slave, or a forfeited life is the object to be delivered. Because the idea of equivalence or substitution was proper to the concept of a ransom. It became an integral element in the vocabulary of redemption in the Old Testament. It speaks of liberation, which suggests a servitude or an imprisonment from which man cannot free himself. You and I can't bring our own ransom. There's no ransom we can bring to the Father. 
You see, this would be all for nothing if Jesus never paid the ransom. We are lost in sin if he never paid the ransom. You see, the cup and the baptism he had to go through, he had to do it for you and I. Because we can't do it. Our works can't do it. Nothing else can do it but him alone, but Jesus alone. The ultimate application for believers today, for you and I today, is to follow the example of Jesus. We should wholeheartedly embrace servanthood and be willing to sacrifice for the sake of others, just as Jesus did by offering his life as a ransom for our salvation. How did Jesus serve? His life. He showed us what it means to be great. And it brings it to a personal level, right? It brings it to a personal level for you and I. Now, I'm going to finish off here with answering the application points. Remember our application points? Reevaluate your concept of greatness. We need to reevaluate what greatness means and go by the definition of what Jesus says. Remember I told you to take a moment to reflect on your aspirations, your, your ambitions, your desires, your goals. The question is, are they driven by a desire for personal recognition and power? Or are they aligned with the principle of God's kingdom, which emphasizes serving others? Point number two, embrace servanthood. You see, Jesus calls us to follow his example of servanthood. We as believers, as followers of Jesus, look for opportunities to serve those around you. Whether it's in your family, your workplace, the church, our community. You see, and I love the way Natalie puts it, skin on Jesus. Put skin on Jesus. Live your life for Jesus. You see, acts of selflessness and kindness demonstrate true greatness in God's eyes. Embrace servanthood. You weren't saved to sit on the, on the bench. You're saved to serve. We all are. We have serving opportunities in the church that we need help in. The children's ministry, we have the uh, trunk or treat. There's buckets back there that we need candies. You can serve that way. You all serve in your giving. You serve in your time. Even though we're a small church, we do a lot. Because God is here. He is the one we want to be loyal to. Point number three, consider the cost. Remember, following Jesus may require sacrifice, inconvenience, facing challenges. Are you willing to endure the hardships for the sake of his kingdom? Church, are you willing? Are you willing? And the well-being of others. Lastly, number four, leadership through humility. You see the way the style of our Lord and Savior leads, right? Do you and I see it this morning? How does he lead? He leads through humility. He's humble. If you are in a position of leadership, no matter where you're at, in the church, outside the church, lead with humility in a servant's heart. I've been under leadership where it's very domineering. Like I've been in place, especially in like the workplace where when you deal with salespeople, that's like it's my way, the highway, or no other way. I've been under those. And you know what? What I experience is when I lead according to how Jesus leads, people want to follow that because they know they, they, they know that you care for them. You're serving them, even though you're a leader. You see, your influence can make a positive impact when it's guided by Christ-like service. That's very sobering for us in the ministry because we are broken people, saved by God, trying to lead other broken people to God. And I'm going to close out with this. Tyler, you can come up. Conclusion, Jesus redefines greatness as servanthood. He invites us to follow his example by embracing humility, self-sacrifice, and the willingness to serve others. You see, as we do so, we not only honor his teachings, we honor him by living like this, but also become his vessels of love and grace in the broken world. 
You see, true greatness in God's kingdom is found in the footsteps of our servant, King, our Lord, our Savior. The reason why you're here sitting in these chairs, the reason why I'm up here teaching, the reason why Talia does worship, the reason why those guys do sound, the teachers do what they do, the events that we put on as a church, it's all for God's kingdom. It's not about me. It's not about the leadership of this church. It's not about you. It's for his kingdom. It's for his kingdom. His kingdom. His kingdom. And he saves us. He tells us, you're in my kingdom. Now go and tell others. Grab them so we can be his kingdom. I pray this message encourages you in serving for God. You're not serving this church. Of course, we serve one another. But ultimately, we're loyal to God. That's why we serve. The motivation of why we do things should be because we love God. That's our motivation, church. When we love God, we love people, and our life is radically changed for the kingdom of God. Amen? Let us close and pray us out. Father God, we thank you, Lord. You are worthy to be praised and be glorified. And God, if someone this morning does not know you, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to them that they would understand that Jesus died on the cross for them. He was the ransom that only, Father, you would accept on our behalf. God, we thank you. If you don't know God this morning, I'm inviting you to know him this morning. In January 2000, I was in a church, and the pastor said, if you don't know God, I want you to raise your hand. I just want to acknowledge you. And you know what? From that time on, moving forward, my life was radically changed. It wasn't easy. It wasn't comfortable. But the Spirit of God saved me. The Bible says you have to be born again. It's God's Spirit that does that work. If you're here this morning, you don't know God or you're not saved. Why don't you solidify that question this morning? If that's you, raise your hand. I can simply pray with you, acknowledge you. That we could all enter his kingdom together. God, thank you. If you're here this morning, And we talked about servanthood. We talked about the example that Jesus sets. And I know God has been prompting us in different areas we can serve. In our families, in our communities, in our church, in our workplace. And you want the power to do that. This week, specifically, brothers and sisters, I'm in the same boat as you. I need his power. Would you raise your hand, extend it to me, and I could pray for us all together. Jesus said, come on, let's humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. Because we all need God's power in order to live for him. Father, I pray for myself as well as my brothers and sisters, God, that you'll give us, God, the power by your Holy Spirit to live our lives for you, Father. Nothing else, not for show, but we want to live for an audience of one. God, direct us in how to be servants after you. God, I thank you. There's ministry, God, in our church that needs help in. I pray, Father, that you would, God, your spirit would just come alongside those who need to be in those positions, Lord. Father, there's activity, there's uh, events that we need to accomplish even at the end of this month, God, that we need help in. God, put it in our hearts to serve in those areas, those small areas that we can serve each other well. God, in our families, in our communities.
Thank you so much for the opportunity to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.